Hello and welcome to Be a B2B Leader. I'm your host Felician and today my guest is Nemanja Zivkovic, the CEO and founder of Funky Marketing, where they help businesses generate growth by building holistic marketing strategies that cover all aspects of their business. In this interview, you will learn how you can impact the buyer journey to ensure your ideal customers have a great experience from the first moment they interact with your brand. It's an exciting topic, so let's get started. Hi, Nemanja, and welcome to the show. Hey, man. Nice to nice to meet you. Nice to be here. I'm excited. Let's do this. Yeah. So let's dive straight into the topic. Please tell me, what should every B2B there know about buyers? Their habits, behaviors. Yeah, it's. Um, I always say, like, it's not a rocket science. So you need to know who you are selling to. In in most cases, so we need to know, are uh, they buying the same way as they were buying before? Have their behaviors changed? Have their thought process changed? How is decision making process going? So so basically, uh, you know, we say at Funky Marketing that basically we. Uh, align research and strategy with creatives to help uh, B2B companies create demand the way buyers buy now. And why do we say that? It's because uh, the way they buy has changed a lot in a, in a recent couple of years, mostly based on that, that like the internet, if you look at five years ago, uh, was not mature as it was today. Social media weren't, was it uh what it was today, basically today, the state of the internet is the social media, right? Uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, web three coming in, but, but that's where we are now. And, uh, back in the days, uh, you know, to buy and to find out information and all those kind of things, people needed to go to Google. That was the only way to go and find out things today. Uh, basically if you look our behaviors, uh, I guess you are behaving the same way as I am. Like we are spending majority of our time interacting with our peers on social media. Uh, and it's, we do that more than we do our job on a, on a daily level. And if you look at that, that's one of the segments, the way we buy. So we connect with our peers. We ask them for advice inside communities. Back in the days, we didn't have smaller communities. Now we have specialized smaller communities for all kinds of stuff. Then we have social media where we interact with our peers. And there's also one thing that, uh, that affects the way, the way we buy. And it's actually, you know, people in similar position as we are. And it is not that part particularly is not something that we can actually track in no way. So, uh, if I want to buy something, uh, I don't know, I was, was buying a scheduling tool, uh, a month ago and I posted on social media. So that's it. I got the answer from social media. But uh, if I didn't do that, I would just pick up my phone and call a couple of uh, friends that I know from the industry and ask them, what are you using for scheduling tools? Because like Buffer is not the right fit for B2B for LinkedIn. They're focusing on small business and e-commerce. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I need somebody who is also doing B2B to tell me what are they using. So I don't have to do uh, additional research and go over that. And besides uh, actually above all this, is actually you know who do i know that's yeah. related to the topic that i'm in and if you look at all those things so it's all happening inside interaction with people those kind of things and why is that happening because back in the days when we were going to google like 
the whole market was on Google. Yeah. Now, now it's not. People spend time on social media when they're not on the market. And as yeah. like, but do you think that, yeah, it applies to all businesses? Because let's say you have those big corporations where, mm-hmm. yeah, you have a CIO that has a vast network of peers inside the company and outside of it, and yeah. I look at lots of those decision makers and I see that they aren't as active on social media as yeah, as marketers. So do you think we can impact them also through social media or somehow should we look for those communities? But there aren't too many communities that they are part of. Yeah, uh, look, uh, they're watching and listening. That's one thing that I, that I know because uh, I even got scheduled calls from the people that don't follow me uh, we are not connected on LinkedIn, but they say they saw my LinkedIn post and they went to my, straight to my website and scheduled a call. And they told me specifically, like, I like your go to market strategy. Uh, your thesis seems, uh, promising and it's unlike the things that I'm seeing, uh, around me in manufacturing B2B industry. <laughs> so, uh, I know that they are there and they're watching. Maybe they're not interacting. Like majority of people on LinkedIn, for example, are not interacting. Like if you look at the structure of LinkedIn, it's mostly people working in marketing and sales. So to get to the decision makers, you need to go over marketing and sales. That's why, you know, we are saying peers. So your, uh, you know, people working with you in marketing on sales, if you prove them that you are the expert, if you, they look at you as the authority, they will recommend you to the decision makers. And also like, if you look at, uh, you know, the typical SaaS or B2B product, there's a department that's using the product. There's a CFO that's making a decision, you know, should we buy that or no? And there's a founder or CEO, like those are the people involved in, uh, in the buying process. And then, you know, we usually go straight to the main decision maker. So to the CEO. We don't uh, think that there's uh, somebody who needs to make a decision about the money. And there is also somebody that will use our tool. So if we empower those people that will actually use the tool, prove them that, aha, this is extremely interesting for you. This is something that can help you achieve your goal. They will advocate for us to those that are, uh, you know, above them in the decision making process and influence the decision maker from uh, from bottom as well. How can you ensure a great buyer experience when there are so many moving things in between? Because it's not one person that you have to interact with. There are many people that you have to convince and show that, yeah, this is the right solution. This is how you can solve this problem. And yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually, uh, you know, what you say, there are too many people. That's actually the, the main problem. Because like too many people uh, leads to too many biases. In B2B, mm-hmm. for example, the, 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 the person that I mentioned, the one that is using the tool is afraid to go and buy a tool, which is maybe not in top three in the market, uh, because, you know, if they fail, they will get fired because of that. Yeah. Right. So, so they choose to go with the May one, even though if, if not, if it's not a real field fit and, uh, you know, if they fail, they will say, ah. We hire, we took the best agency, we took the best product, go ahead, check it out. They are the first on this and this list, you know, those kind of things. Uh, and if we look at what's happening in the reality, like less than 5% of B2B companies are in a market right now to buy. 
if you go from mm-hmm. that perspective, which means they're spending time somewhere else, they're still, what you said, you know, not maybe interacting, but listening and watching. And if you go from that perspective, it means that, you know, we need to do the research, see where those people are, where they're spending their time, then involve the subject matter expert who they trust. So somebody who is relatable to them, who can talk about the topic, who knows uh, in depth their uh, problems, issues, and even challenges, because I like to take it on a challenge level. So when they go back to the problem, it's not like we are the only one having a problem. It's the change that is happening no matter what we do. And then we go we go from that part. And uh, when we go from that part, we talk about it. We have a unique point of view and they come per, to us. But when they are coming to us, we want to make sure that their experience is, uh, you know, without any roadblocks. What does it mean? I like to have uh, the website, which is basically like, like uh who said it chris walker said it like the outlet like the outlet when you go and i look uh for the next move when you click i want to buy and most if you look at how uh is the experience or most b2b uh tech and SaaS websites it's basically they come to the website and you need to go and schedule a deal you cannot Mm -hmm. and then you need to talk to somebody usually it's SDR. Then it takes you to the AR uh, to the account executive when you are ready to buy. So it's already two person, including the marketing. It's three or even more. Yeah. And then when they are done with the deal, you get to talk with the customer success or uh, you know somebody other than that. And there's too many people. So yeah. uh, what the way I see it, what is happening? Like give them the trial because maybe I want to use the tool and solve my problem today. And if I do it, I will go back and I will buy the tool or at least give me to see the the demo on my own because customers today want to do their own research. They want to see what fits them and then when they are ready, they will come to buy. So if we look at it like that, it's uh, a little different and it goes into creating relationship with them every step of the way instead of just, you know, looking at the things intersectionally. Yeah. But how do you do that research to learn how they buy? Because let's say you don't have any customers yet, so you don't have someone to talk to. And you are yeah, you want to create a new product that will solve a problem for a specific person. So let's say you have a list of 50 people that you yeah, that you are you are your ideal customers. So what do you want to ask them during the research? Yeah, like uh let me tell you, I did that for funky marketing. Because I was mm-hmm. totally in B2C when we started. And I didn't know that I'm going to go in B2B, but I had like 9,000 people on LinkedIn. And I, uh, I've i done like 200, 250, 60, maybe even 70 calls, virtual coffees with people. And I saw that there is a gap. So there is a gap in B2B that I can fill in because the same pattern ke- they keep repeating. You know, <laughs> and I saw, aha, uh-huh, okay. So like if... 100 or 150 or, or the, of those 250 people repeat the same thing, they need something, you know, that I can get in. Uh, if you have a list of people, you can always invite them like you are inviting me here on a podcast, talk with them about the problems, issues, different things. You can ask them how is decision-making process going? Do they already have a vendor uh, or no? You can ask them how, where are they going to get educated about the topic or do they? 
you can ask them also uh one thing that i always like to do is um how would you call uh, a product or a service that is solving specific problem or you know like things that will give you a hint of how, how to do things. Back in the B2C days, I'll tell you one thing, and it's quite interesting. Uh, you know, we were trying to sell uh, toothpaste and toothbrushes. Yeah. So a quite popular band, uh, brand uh, in Europe. Uh, I think they're the most popular band when it comes to, uh, to those things. But they had uh, interdental um, toothbrushes which mm -hmm. basically when you have the gap between the teeth, uh, they help you with that. And you cannot ask people in the survey, like, uh, do you have the gap, right? So <laughs> it's, it's not very polite to do that. So we yeah. asked them, um, do you use the tooth sticks? sticks? Basically, mm -hmm. you know, if they say yes, then we know that, you know, that they have gaps between yeah. the teeth. It's very so, likely that they will have... <laughs> Yeah, so, sometimes you need to be clever and go and get to know them uh, a little bit different. Uh, and also always the, the best thing always is to have the community before you actually build the product or you build the service. But sometimes that's not possible. Yeah, like I believe that communities are strong and you can almost always create one, but it also takes a lot of work. So, you know, it's not that easy. But Communities have that nice thing that you can really build those relationships inside them. And I want to go back to the thing you said before that yeah, you have to build those relationships. So would you say that building those relationships is the key to success in B2B? Yeah, uh, I think definitely the way the way uh, things are right now, the way B2B customers buy is uh, basically going coming from B2C to B2B and I, I always like to look at uh, Netflix, Airbnb, like those <laughs> big B2C brands that are actually changing the things. So for example, if you look at Netflix, they give you personalized experience based on what you are doing on the platform, right? Or, or before you even get to Netflix, they ask you a couple of questions. If uh, you look at Airbnb, it's, it's the same. They give you uh, not only the, the apartment that you're gonna rent, they tell you what's around it, uh, are there some cafes, restaurants? How do you travel do, during the city? What else can you do over there? So uh, basically, they're meeting you halfway. They're not waiting for you to come to them, as some old brands are doing. They're meeting you halfway. Mm -hmm. So uh, as uh, B2B buyers are also people, just like we all yeah. are. And uh, they have this experience with, with uh, brands like Netflix and Airbnb. And they come to B2B will they go back to the bad experience that they are having with these brands or they will say, uh -huh, I want to have the same experience as I have with Netflix, with Airbnb. And I demand that from you because like right now, the buyers have all the power. They didn't have that power before. They were just going to Google and you, you know, you get what you get over there. We had television, we have advertising, we have print. So no two way communication. Now it's all two way and the customers have all the power. So from the, uh, from the seller perspective, we need to adjust to that. How can you adjust it when you sell a product that, uh, yeah, a product or service that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars? So just by creating content, you won't see who exactly interacts with it. Like there are tools that can facilitate that, but still it's not that easy. And at the same time, 
you want to yeah you want to kind of control the journey is it even possible to control it yeah uh yeah i think it's uh it's pretty much possible to control you i don't need to see who's uh who's seeing every piece of content or who's exactly interacting i need to see who's converting and what what do those people tell me you know uh recently i saw that everybody starts separating like closing demand and uh yeah. creating demand um I, I think like with creating demand most people are actually damning the demand meaning mm-hmm. using the existing demand and turning it into your own uh subcategory sorry about that uh but uh what's what's actually interesting is uh you know i've been doing that since forever i like i think because like on google uh g analytics uh google search console they don't give to me enough information about am i doing marketing right you know like i always had that even when i started in marketing like i think seo was the first thing that i that i uh, actually needed to study that was the one thing where i was the worst at and i look at seo like the the customer research team they go to google and they look at how are people coming to us so uh you know google search console is giving you something but you have the direct traffic that is uh always one of the biggest chunk of the traffic that is getting to the website you have no idea what's happening over there uh even those that are coming from social media channels and google you don't know what happened over there but if you uh ask customers like why do you want to work with us and that question that i think everybody should have on the website how did you hear about us like they will actually give you all the information like uh i don't know we had like peplaya recommended you or mm-hmm. uh we got funked on on linkedin because it's funky yeah. marketing uh or like we are following nemanja alexander and back in the days it was uh ivan and linda they even mm-hmm. give us the names of the people from the team that they are following so it's like mm-hmm. linkedin they know what's happening then they give me funky marketing show they are listening to the show uh i had like uh i saw your post on medium so i know what's happening also there because otherwise i would just see it in uh in referrals and i wouldn't know what's happening so when we know that we are creating demand over there it means that we need to invest more in that because we are following somebody's coming from linkedin uh are we closing them in which rate are we closing them and are they staying with us long term so we go reverse see how are those people behaving and if those are the great customers then we go back and we create demand to get more of them do you think it's possible to really create demand because that's a topic that yeah i like to argue about because for me like creating demand isn't really possible because yeah you can't force someone to buy something it's more about staying top of mind showing what you do and at some point when people see a need of that service or whatever in their business then they come but it's more yeah, about yeah, education uh, well, you you just explained uh creating the demand basically so it's not it's not forcing somebody to buy yeah. not at all it's basically uh two things so let's uh, let's break down creating the demand and damning the demand basically the creating the demand is meaning creating desire uh in somebody's mind uh through education information and entertainment so when they are ready to buy or to buy when they are on the market so they come to you first uh before they go to google 
before mm-hmm. they have the buying intent. So you create that before they have the buying intent. To create uh, that desire before they have the buying intent, you need to not mention seller at all, not talk about it. So it's creating a relationship. Deming the demand, on the other hand, it's a little bit different. And I think most of the companies are doing that. Most companies don't need to create the demand because it's extremely hard. So they go to deming the demand, especially if they have competitors that are already in the market for years. So what they need to do is they need to go and advertise in those channels where those customers are the strongest one and tell them, look, I know that you are using this product, but we just <laughs> developed something new. It gives uh, you some uh, some features, some information that, that other tools, uh, the existing one doesn't give you. It's maybe more flexible. It has a, a better pricing option. Or we just have a unique point of view that is making us better fit for you. So we go and we use that. And then we go in parallel, basically, through the main category. And uh, so we want them to come to us. It's not about sell- us selling to them. It's they coming to us, what we say about outlet, the website. They come to the website, click, I want to sell, I want to buy. And basically, this is the moment when they are ready to talk to the salesperson, not before yeah. that. Yeah. But how do you reach those people? Because, uh, yeah, reaching the right audience organically, I know it's difficult because you have to really have a great strategy. Yeah, build out your network, but it doesn't scale at one point. And at the same time, not all businesses have the money to invest into paid advertising. So what would you advise to those people that uh, want to create demand, yeah. but uh, don't have the budget? Let's, let's start a step back. So it's like, first we need to set up, we said, you know, how we closing the demand, how we're creating demand. What we need to do first before we think about creating the demand is figure out how are we closing the demand. So closing the demand is SEO, closing the demand is advertising, closing the demand is review websites, uh, you know, those kind of things. And this is how we are actually closing the existing demand because those people are already on Google looking for a solution, looking for a product, and we need to just gather them. For the majority of companies, like it's one to 3% of those people that uh, are on the market. And 1% is just enough for, mm-hmm. for majority of the companies. So uh, not everybody needs to create a demand. And we just need to see how much of demand is actually out there, how much of it can we close. And then if it's not enough, then we start building the demand. So uh, some companies you have no idea about. I don't know them. They are just closing the demand. And they are uh, huge companies already established, went to the enterprise level. And they are just closing the demand because they found a niche when there is a lot of uh, already existing demand. Uh, just to give you a perspective, like if you look at demand creation category, uh, revenue generating, those kind of things where we are, like uh, we started a couple of uh, actually a year after Refine Labs, after okay. Chris and the team. And so he's going before us and creating yeah. the demand. So I don't need to create additional additional demand. Yeah. And, I, and I'm seeing it like last couple of months, people started to go into Google and look for, you know, for those things. And they come to us, they say, we found you on Google. But from our perspective, what we have done to adjust those things, 
like we created articles uh, outside of specific posts on LinkedIn. So interacting with people, those posts and those tactics and strategies are not on Google. So we are giving something new into the equation. And for example, ranking for a lot of keywords um, related to B2B strategies for, uh, for tech startups <laughs> and all those similar, similar keywords. And they're looking for that and they are coming to us. So they're not going to look for somebody who's going to create a demand. They going to look for somebody to create a strategy and to yeah. see what's, what they actually need to do. You know, do yeah, they so need to they will be looking demand? for someone with the strategy that will help them just start executing. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. In most cases, you know, when they look for somebody to, to come up with a strategy, they want to, uh, you to implement the strategy as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, you need, you need to prove that and give a unique way of doing it. So that's the only thing. Point of view, I think, is the most important thing today. I like to say zig when everybody else zag. Because, like, yeah. for example, uh, Funky Marketing Show, we started... Uh, I think we were one of the first ones to, to do with the headline and description when we mm-hmm. distribute the smaller parts of the episode, but then everybody started doing that. So I said, uh, mm-hmm. let's change it and let's start, uh, let's see what else we can do. So we found an old TV uh, yeah. frame and we were, inside, yeah, we were inside the old TV frame and as the, the uh, you know, the, the, the video was going on, like the, the, the button for the, for the volume was increasing. And, you know, people remember us for that. Now we changed again because, uh, again, some, some thing changed. And, and this is the thing, uh, you know, uh, you and I were talking, um, exchanging opinions about competitors. Should we look at the competitors? Mm-hmm. Should we go and do our own thing? We need to know what competitors are doing. We don't need to copy them. Because, like, uh, to give you an example, a company we were working with, I stopped working with them, huge company. Now it's maybe the, uh, they're going for the IPO. So they're smart company doing smart things. But at the time, in the beginning, they were trying to copy their North Star, which is tech development company. So it was Accenture. And Accenture yeah. has 100,000 employees. They had yeah. 300. And they were trying to do the same thing uh, as Accenture is doing right now. Which meaning, you know, Accenture did some of the things differently when they were little. You know, so uh, you cannot look at your competitors and like just copy them because it's just different game at, at the moment. And, uh, you know, that's what I say. Uh, you need to look at the competitors to uh, know what they are doing right now. Where are they in all their process? What is the product? What are the services? What's their point of view? But if you just look at them and you are OK with growing with them, with the market, you are actually losing in the long term. Why do I say that? Because it's enough that one competitor who is looking at all the others uh, secretly uh, innovates. Yeah. They innovate a different point of view. They they basically innovate in, in a lot of features inside the same product or come up with a new product and they take over the market with a new category. Like so, I think the you know, problem with looking at competitors is the fact that Many smaller companies look at those conglomerates that have thousands of employees. Exactly. Because, you know, you can do a lot of things in-house, but at the same time, you don't have the resources. Like, if a company has been on the market for 50 years and they grew from, yeah, just one person to having hundreds or even thousands of teams of 
specialists because those companies they don't employ anyone from the street. They pick someone who has the talent and someone who can really change something in the business. And if you want to compete with those people, you have to understand that yeah, the fact that they serve all of the industries is not that you can do it to like pick your strength, focus focus on a niche and try to dominate it. And then if you dominate one thing, then you can move to another. Well said. Well said. I have nothing nothing to add. That's <laughs> that's it. And you you know, one thing is uh that's why I say you need to know who you are talking to in depth. You know, and to, to add one thing, uh I, I forget to mention it before when you said like we have 50 customers, uh, a list of 50 that you want to work with. Like sometimes you don't have the list. So uh you can go reach out to, to some of the people that you think are over there, but Podcasts are also a huge uh, source of information about your target group. Because like people like you and me, like uh, decision makers, CEOs, innovators, they come to the podcast and they don't call you about business. You can learn a lot of things outside of that. Uh, jobs to be done, all those things you can find out by listening to the podcast. You know, so usually it's not the first thing that you do, but it's an additional thing that can help you a lot to find out some information that they're missing. No, yeah. It was it was perfect. But please tell me what would be the biggest takeaway? So how can people really impact by your journey? Yeah, I think uh for me the biggest thing is uh having a unique point of view, so being able to differentiate and you do that you know how to differentiate by getting to know your customers. So doing the in-depth uh, customer research is the essential thing that you need to do before you actually invest in a product or a service. Uh, even later, okay, it's not it's never too late, but invest in that, find out who those people are, how they're actually buying, how they ed get educated, how do they inform and how do they make decisions. When you know those things, you will know how to differentiate and how uh, to add a different point of view because you are... You are unique. You need to. Uh, you don't need to look at somebody else. Look at yourself because your uniqueness is in you. Then implement that into the business and into the results of the customer research. And here you go. Awesome. Like I love the topic of differentiation, and it doesn't have to be something fancy. It could be a very small thing, but if it matters to your customers, that's enough. Yeah. To, a small example. We name Funky Marketing because Funky. Uh, in music, funky music means the music, music that makes you want to move, yeah. you know, and that's the thing we want with our mar marketing to actually uh, create a relationship with people and activate them, make them want to move, come to yeah. us. So that's it. As simple as that. That's, I love it. <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> and Nemanja, how can people find you and how can you help them? Yeah, uh, basically, as, as I told you, so uh, we work with B2B tech companies to help them uh, use uh, strategy and research with creatives to create demand the way people, uh, the way B2B companies buy now. Uh, I think I'm everywhere. So like LinkedIn is the best way. Then I'm on Facebook. Uh, if you want to, uh, to talk with me about basketball, NBA and partisan, then I'm on Twitter. 
having sort of a breakdown says the results are going uh, sometimes in Serbian. So, uh, you know, Instagram as well, but also like funkymarketing.net. Uh, uh, you can find uh, over there also the, the links to the Funky Marketing Show, reaching out, uh, I think, 100 episodes uh, next month. So, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, that's an impressive number. And who should I invite to the podcast to learn more about B2B? Oh, man, that's, that's, a, that's a very hard question. So uh, mm-hmm. I'd recommend you one person, actually two. So one is Rory Sutherland. Uh, to get them to talk about the biases in B2B. I've done that, uh, and I don't see many other people are talking with him about B2B and about biases. So, like, going more in-depth on that is a great thing. He'll give you also the great exposure for the podcast. Um, also, the other thing, the, the other one that you should, uh, that you should invite, him. Uh, her name is uh, Miljana Nikodijevic. Uh, I'm sure I'm the first one that's mentioning her name. Uh, she's doing uh, company transformation. So like uh, difficult stuff. She yeah. is not even 30. And she's the person that can, that sends a message to the CEO on Slack every day. If you don't this to, do this today, it costs you the money or the time. So like, uh, and she's leaving the room when they consider her a child. So a great guest and I recommend you uh, invite me. Yeah, like she sounds like an awesome guest. So, (laughs) Nemanja, it was great to have you on the show. Thank you for being a guest and probably see you on LinkedIn. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. It it was really a pleasure to be here and to jam about uh, B2B stuff. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be a B2B Leader. If you liked this episode, make sure to leave a review in your favorite podcast app. Also, if there is something you would like to learn, let me know. After all, we are building a knowledge base for B2B.